Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Folks, and really that's what I want to talk about in this last session with you, is getting things in perspective. As Catholic Christians, it is time for us to wake up. We're living in the midst of a culture that's spiraling out of control. Could anyone have imagined in just seven years of the Obama administration what has happened to our culture? It is absolutely extraordinary. Now, of course, our, our culture has been in a spiral long before uh, President Obama. But what we do have today is an, an incredible transformation of our culture to where today, who would have thought just seven years ago that if you stand up and say you are in favor of marriage, you would be called a bigot. Notice I said marriage, not traditional marriage or uh, marriage between one man and one. I said marriage because that's what it is. You're a bigot. This is unbelievable what's happened, right? And I believe, my friends, we can't point to President Obama, the Obama administration, you know, or any other president. We could go R's and D's. This is not about Democrats and Republicans. We could, we could point all over the place. But you know what? The real problem is here. It's in our hearts. If you want to change the world, get on your knees and make a morning offering tomorrow morning. Amen? Amen? Get to Mass and offer the Holy Sacrifice well. There is more power on your knees in front of the Blessed Sacrament than getting all the Supreme Court justices and the, the right presidents and everything else. Some trust in princes, I will trust in the name of the Lord. I think this is what we are learning. God is using radical Islam. He's using the, the Obamas of the world as a whip, as he did in the temple, to wake us up. And you want, I'm going to tell you, I, I wasn't planning on this, but I, I'm going to tell you, I believe that groups like this, Institute of Catholic Culture, groups like Catholic Answers, right? My, uh, our, well, he's no longer our president, um, but he is our founder, Carl Keating the Terry Barbers of the world, Mother Angelicas, and you know, Catholics United for the Faith. We could go down a litany, Ignatius Press. It is astonishing how God has called laity. Vatican II was prophetic in its decree on the laity at a time when you know, we, were, we, we had a booming, what, 65,000 seminarians in the United States or something like that. But Vatican II is focusing on the laity. It was prophetic because it's laity. Folks, how many of you know sheep give birth to sheep? Amen? Amen. Do shepherds give birth to sheep? No. <laughs> Please say no. <laughs> yes. Okay, good. No. See, I, I think we as, as lay people, you know, people always ask us at Catholic Answers, you know, Tim, why don't you go after the bishops more or this or that? And I say, you know what? 
I am not called to management. I am called to sales. Amen? <laughs> we don't see that as our role at Catholic Answers. We are teaching people the truth of the Catholic faith. That's what we do. We pray for our bishops and our priests. Now, it doesn't mean there's never a time to point out error. That's not what I'm saying. But what is our emphasis? As St. Ignatius of Loyola in his spiritual exercise talks about, we must think with the mind of the church. And before we ever dream of correcting a prelate, we better pray real long and real hard. Well, Joan, or, or um, St. Catherine of Siena rebuked the Pope. Yes, St. Catherine <laughs> of Siena. Amen? Become St. Catherine and you can rebuke anybody you want to. All right? You see, Here's, here's what I believe, Catholic radio, Catholic television, Catholic answers, all these things. You know what's, what's happening today is we are creating Sergeant Matt Doulis. I'm going to introduce you to him in a moment. Now, he's, he's not here. I'm going to talk about him. He lives in St. Charles just outside of Chicago. Uh, not a week goes by that we don't talk all these years later. But Matt Doulis is the fellow that got me started on the road to Rome. But you know what he was? He was a young Catholic Marine who was living his faith in the middle of the Marine Corps. Daily Mass, daily Rosary, and let me tell you, when I went after him and his Catholic faith, he was ready, willing, <laughs> and able to respond. I believe Catholic Answers, Catholic Television, Radio, Institute of Catholic Culture. What we are doing is creating Matt Doulas all across this country and around the world because that's how we're going to change the world. It's not going to be by voting in the right dudes. It's going to be by transformed hearts. We're going to be the leaven that Jesus called us to be and transform this thing from the inside out. We've done it before. Called, ever heard of the Roman Empire? That went from cutting our heads off and crucifying us to being a Christian empire. Not by getting the right emperors but because already the seeds were, be, were being planted in Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul, Paul's epistles, he talks about already they'd converted some members of Caesar's own household. Amen? See, conversion is what we're about, and conversion begins right here. And let me tell you, the reason, folks, if you take anything with you tonight, I want you to take this with you. The reason why I am standing here Catholic today, and little did Sergeant Matt Doolin know, not only... Am I Catholic? But my entire family, my three brothers, my mother, my father, their children, my brother's children, my children, and untold thousands of others. The reason why we're Catholic today is because a young Catholic Marine stood up for his faith at Quantico, Virginia in 1986. Now I'm going to tell you the story. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Amen. Now in order to tell the story, I want to go back real quick. When I was 10 years old at Boulevard Baptist Church, I got saved. Now, we didn't have our theology correct on what saved means, and we've already talked about that. But I got saved, and not just saved, but saved. When I was 10 years old, I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I was baptized, and I was on fire. I wanted to be a preacher. Billy Graham was my hero. I'd say apart from the football field and the boxing ring <laughs> and the baseball field and the basketball court, he was my number one hero. And my pastor, Pastor Eugene Foreman, Baptist minister at Boulevard Baptist Church in Falls Church, Virginia, who introduced me to Jesus Christ. 
changed my life. And little did I know it at that time, saved my life. Because when I accepted Christ, I told my mom, I told my friends, I even told my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Terry, I said, I'm going to be a preacher one day because all I want to do is talk about Jesus. Now, unfortunately, I got away from my faith in my teen years. And some of you know that priestly brother of mine, don't you? How many of you know Father Terry Staples, right? All right. He's now at St. Isidore the Farmer out in Orange, Virginia, but he used to be uh, at uh, St. Mary of Sorrows. And then after that, he was at St. Louis. St. Louis. Louis. See, you guys know better than I do. He was at St. Louis Parish. Did Did he serve in another one? before he went to... Anyway, now he's at St. Isidore the Farmer. But let me tell you, uh, in our teen years, we all got away from God, even the holy priest. (laughs) Now, I won't tell you all the stories, but I could. But we did. I got away from the faith. My brothers and I, my three brothers and I, got way far away from God in my teen years and into my older brother's 20s. You know what? I don't like to talk about that part. (laughs) But I do have a CD set back there. Uh, it's called Jimmy Swaggart Made Me Catholic. And you know what? There was a, kind of a, a, a mess up at Catholic Answers. We didn't bring nearly enough, and I know they're gone. But there might be one or two left back there. I don't know. But um, we have two different versions. We have the CD set that I recommend. It's three CDs. I get to tell not my story only, but the story of my whole family, how my whole family converted. We don't have time to talk about that tonight. But let me tell you, we just buried my father on November 4th. My father, who was one of the most anti-Catholic men, let's just say he didn't like the Catholic Church. And when he converted, he had the most radical conversion I have ever encountered in my life. My dad was transformed, became an incredible Catholic man up until his death. And now, my goodness, pray for him. Uh, although I, I personally believe he was in purgatory about three minutes, but I pray for him still because I do not know. Amen? Amen. And he, needs, uh, he may need our prayers. So I pray for him as well as to him. But um, see, I, I wish I could tell you a thousand stories of the miracles we've seen in our family, the transformations, like with my father, who, you know, I will say this. My dad was a fighter, broke his nose seven times, tough as nails, uh, When he converted, he was so radically transformed that, uh, example, I never saw my dad, none of my brothers and I ever saw my dad cry our entire life. We never heard the words, I love you, never. Not that dad didn't love us, are you kidding me? He worked his fingers to the bone for us. He, He was the icon of generosity. He gave, and that man... Oh, I, I, I could never say enough about him. But he didn't say, I love you. It, he, t- he taught us how to fight and how to play football. And that's how he said, I love you. But let me tell you, when he, when he came to faith and when he went to confession for the first time, my dad was so transformed. Here was a man who actually killed a man in a fight many years ago. And this was a street fight. He was, it was a self-defense thing, so no, no prosecution. But can you imagine carrying that around all those years? Even though Dad would never say it, he carried that with him all those years. 
when he went to confession to Father Paul Burns at Our Lady of the Angels in Woodbridge, Virginia. He said, I'm not going with the rest of the uh, candidates and, and those coming into full communion with church. I'm not going. He said, Father, I'm not waiting in that line. You and I are going to have to sit and talk. <laughs> and he had a separate appointment, and he was in there a long time. And my dad walked out of that confessional a transformed man. He was so transformed. In fact, remember I said I never saw my dad cry? We couldn't get him to stop. He'd come to my talks when I spoke in Virginia. He'd be sitting right in the front. He'd be bawling. I'm telling my story. He's bawling. I'm like, Dad, this is getting embarrassing. <laughs> and I can't tell you what it meant to hear those words. I love you, son. On the phone, in person, for the first time. God transformed him. See, raise a Southern Baptist. You, got, you have to understand, to me, Catholicism was insane. I, I, I can remember thinking, when I'm 8, 9, 10 years old, and I'm not exaggerating this, I thought to myself, how could anybody with a brain that works be Catholic? <laughs> Come on. I mean, look, one of my favorites was Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, where Jesus and Pastor Foreman, of course, taught us. Matthew 23, 9, call no man, what? Father. Call no man on this earth father if you have one father which is in heaven. What part of no don't you people understand? <laughs> right? It was like, how could it be any more plain? I remember thinking when I'm nine, 10 years old, it's like, one day I want to go to the Vatican and get the Pope saved. Because I'm just sure nobody's ever told him about Jesus. I mean, because if somebody would just tell him about Jesus, he wouldn't be calling himself Holy Father and stupid things like that, right? That's where I come from, folks. So when I met a Catholic, whether, you know, when I was eight, nine, 10, I could tell you stories. Uh, 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 oh, I can't do that. Get the CDs. Uh, I'd say this is a story of the first Catholic I ever met. But anyway, oh gosh. I mean, if, if I met a Catholic, immediately, these are not Christians. We have to get these people saved. Why? They're idolaters. They're worshiping Mary. They're worshiping a wafer. They've got this, you know, this Pope thing going on that's so absolutely crazy. And, and all the rest. They're not even Christians. See, that's how I was raised. So, of course, when you're taught this by the people you love and respect, that's what you believe, right? And unfortunately, like I said, I got away from God in my teen years, but I came back. And here, here I could synopsize without telling the stories. You'll get them in the CD set. Put, just put it this way. My brothers and I, the four of us, we were four boys within five years. When we got away from God, we got away from God. The police officers in Fairfax County, Virginia, knew each one of us on a personal basis. <laughs> they knew our names. They knew, in fact, I rode in the back seats of a few of those police cars. And, but anyway, that's just to give you a sense of how far away from God we got. But you want to know something? How many of you believe God's got a sense of humor? Raise your hand. Yeah. Amen. God has got a sense of humor. I know God's got a sense of humor because I'm looking at y'all right now. <laughs> And y'all are looking at me. So you know God's got a sense of humor. And he does. But I'm going to tell you this story. When I was as far away from God as you can get, there were nights, and I can remember many of them, going to bars and, and tipping back way too many Budweiser's and, and such. I can remember nights being absolutely empty. After the party's over, it's 2, 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm driving alone, and being absolutely empty. 
what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? See, I had gotten in so much trouble. I ended up leaving high school when I was 16 years old. I dropped out. I waited until after the last football game, <laughs> my junior year. But my, my parents couldn't control me. I was out of control. They ended up signing over legal guardianship to another family. It was actually a friend of mine's older sister and brother-in-law, big old burly dude's going to straighten me out, right? They signed over legal guardianship. Well, I ended up partying with them. Did not work. And as soon as I turned 18, I was gone from there. I'm on my own working construction. I was living with my older brother, Mike, and just partying to no end, working for the weekends, right? But so many of those nights, just thinking, what have I done? And what am I going to do? I'm absolutely empty, but the next day you start the whole thing over again. But it was one night, folks, coming back to our little apartment. My brother and I were living with a friend of his, Tim Leary, oh my gosh, the Leary family owned a business and it was a, a little apartment they had over their business and it was, it was like a rat trap, but it was cheap. So we were living there, right? And I remember coming back to the apartment one night, I'd been partying, you know, I can't believe I made it home, that sort of thing. And uh, I go upstairs and I turned on the TV. And when I turned on the, folks, it's like 1.30 in the morning. And I'm about four sheets to the wind, all right? And I turn the TV on, and there's this woman on the TV. And just to give you a hint, she had eyelashes this long. <laughs> if she flapped them things, she could fly. Ah, you got it. Now, now what's a Catholic doing knowing Tammy Faye? <laughs> I'm kidding with you. Tammy Faye. And you know what? When I saw Tammy Faye Baker, first she scares the daylights out. <laughs> Whoa, what in the world? And did, did anybody tell her there is such a thing as uh, waterproof mascara? Isn't there? Because she had that running down her face. She's crying. Talk, but you know what? She talked about Jesus. And when she said Jesus, my ears perked up. Through all the Budweiser's, even though the TV was moving a little bit, she said, Jesus. And it was amazing. I just started listening. And she gave the microphone over to her husband. Remember him? Jim Baker. And he preached a little message just like Pastor Foreman, accept Jesus in your life. I knelt down in front of that TV set and asked Jesus to come back in my life. And I believe God touched me that day even though I was drunk as a skunk. <laughs> I believe God touched me that day. In fact, I know he did. And I was like, my goodness, I have just wasted years here. Get me my Bible. I actually left. I moved back home with my parents. And my mother, if she was here, she lives in Woodbridge, not too far from here. Uh, and if she was here, she'd tell you she was so happy to see me come home and not in a police car. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> he, she was, and I told her, I said, Mom, I've given my life back to Jesus. And I got her watching Christian television. And we were watching all of them. Jimmy Swagger, Jim Baker. I, we knew how to pick them, didn't we? Yeah. Right? Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger, Oral Roberts, uh, Charles Stanley. Of course, I always loved Billy Graham. But I'm watching all of them, sending them all money. But I found out our two favorites, Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger, were both Assembly of God ministers. 
So my mom and I got the yellow pages out, looked up churches, Assemblies of God, bam, there it was, Christ Chapel Assembly of God right here in Woodbridge, Virginia. We were there on Sunday morning. And I got to tell you all, on Sunday morning at Christ Chapel, when we walked in there, it was electric. I mean, I remember they had, the, the first Sunday we went there, they had a band there called the Sherritt Brothers. And they had this big, big old bus out front, and it was a big concert and stuff. And man, the place is rocking, right? This is Sunday. And this was a little different from my Baptist upbringing. You know, we were a little more stoic than, than this. But man, these folks, I got to tell you all something. Now, this might scandalize some of you here, so, you know, hold on to your hats. But I'm going to be honest with you. These people actually smile during church. I know it's terrible. Oh, my God. I know it's just horrible. But it's these folks, I mean, when you walk in there, man, people are coming up, hugging on you. Praise God, brother, I haven't seen you. Man, what's your name? Come to my house afterward. You know, it's like, whoa. Man, this is like overload. After church, I think I burn up the carpet getting saved. I was getting saved every week. You know? And, and after church, that first Sunday, Pastor Gary Jenkins was his name, who has since died of cancer. He's a wonderful man. Pastor Gary, big old hulk of a man. Uh, he said, are there any visitors? My mom and I raised our hand. Big mistake. <laughs> we raised our hand. Folks, they were jumping over pews coming after us. They were chasing us down. And we found out later why. They were all inviting us to their houses. And I, we would find out later that this whole church was basically a bunch of house groups that come together on Sunday. Everybody was in a house group. Not absolutely everybody, but most. And Sunday was just coming together to worship God. And in fact, after church on Sunday, we had what we called the agape feast. And we had a cook that was hired to do that. He cooked a feast every Sunday. We had games all day long. Church was an all-day affair on Sunday. It was incredible. And i got to tell you, as a young man trying to find his way, just giving my life to Jesus, what am I going to do? These people took me in. I'll tell you what, we could learn from our Protestant brothers in this sense. They, they didn't talk about community. They lived it. And folks came to, look, you need a job? I got a brother. Man, he has a construction company. Man, we will hook you up. I mean, it was all of that. This is, wow. I was so blown away. And immediately, you know what? I felt that same calling to be a preacher that I felt when I was 10 years old. And so, you know, I voiced it to the pastor. I voiced it to the elders. And immediately, you know, they're plugging me in, Bible study leader. I'm reading everything I can get my hands on. I'm teaching. I preached my first sermon six months after I Came back to the Lord. Had no idea what I was talking about. But I just said it real loud. <laughs> but I was on fire. But I realized something. I had a problem. The problem was uh, I wanted to be a minister. But I didn't even have a high school diploma. Y'all, if you know any young people, probably a good first step is getting a high school diploma. <laughs> I'm not even talking about college. I didn't even have a high school diploma. What? I needed education in a hurry. And did y'all know, I found out something. Maybe, maybe some of you knew this. Did you know education costs money? <laughs> Man, did I find that out. I needed education in a hurry. I needed money for education. And there was something else I desperately needed, and it's called discipline. When you've been living like the devil for years, you come back, 
What is that verse in Mark chapter 14, verse 38, where Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but every Catholic knows that verse. Isn't that something? <laughs> I know that one. The flesh is... That's our John 3, 16 right there. Yes, but it's true. I needed discipline. Well, folks, let me tell you, I made the, one of the best decisions I ever made when I joined the United States Marine Corps. Because I joined, amen. You, you can applaud that. Amen. Hoorah. <laughs> because when I joined the United States Marine Corps, let me tell you, I learned discipline. In fact, I will guarantee you within two weeks at Paris Island, South Carolina, I had enough discipline for all of us. <laughs> they will put discipline in you in places you didn't think discipline would fit <laughs> in the United States Marine Corps. I learned discipline. I was able to go back to school, get my high school diploma, as well as save money for college through the Veterans Education Assistance Program, which was extremely helpful to me. But more importantly, I traveled around the United States, did some time on ship out of San Diego, USS Ranger. But at each duty station I went to, I got plugged in at different Assembly of God communities. And I was Bible study leader, a preaching crusades, you name it. I was evangelizing sailors and Marines, taking them to church. It was incredible. By, my, by the end of my four years in the Marines, I loved the Corps and probably would have made it a career, but I wanted to get out so I could get in ministry. And I did. When I got out, I had two different Assembly of God communities that I administered in when I was in the Marines. Are you following me? Oak Harbor Assembly of God in, in Washington State and my local Christ Chapel Assembly of God. I had two different offers. One to be a youth minister and one to be an associate pastor. I could go back and take my pick. Now understand, some of you probably have question marks in a cloud over your head right now. Wait a second, how could you be? In the Assemblies of God, you did not have to have, you know, 10,000 years of seminary to be uh, a minister. You could be either a youth minister or an associate pastor uh, without credentials. If a local board of elders elected you, but you could not be a senior pastor until you earned your credentials. So the idea was I would go into ministry full-time and part-time work through school to earn my credentials and be ordained as an Assembly of God minister. Are you all with me? So this was like the dream come true. I took the position as youth pastor at Christ Chapel Assembly of God, and this was like the dream come true. This was just about six months after I got out of the uh, Marine Corps. In fact, it wasn't even six months. Where they said, we will um, put you in ministry, we will watch you, and then the elders will hold an election. And if you're elected, you will come on staff full-time, paid, paid. And let me tell you, they pay you. They pay you over there. I mean, good. <laughs> Ain't no, you know, Catholic Church, alms for the poor, you know. <laughs> I'm joking, but it, kind of. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, they, it, it was amazing. So I, I did the six-month interim, and the elders elected me unanimously as a youth pastor. And again, this is like the dream come true from the time I'm a kid. But you know what? I had to say no. And the reason I had to say no was because in my last year in the Marine Corps, I got orders here at Quantico, Virginia. And in my last year in the Marines, I met... Sergeant Matt Dula. Sergeant Matt Dula is a guy I introduced you just briefly to before. 
Sergeant Madula was the first Catholic I ever met who was ready, willing, and able to defend his faith. And I'll never forget, I, I was at the duty station maybe three weeks, and Matt was checking in to, to my unit. And so the gunny's introducing us, and I'm the first one there, baby. I got my Bible right here ready. Whenever there was a new Marine, I'm going to evangelize that boy. So I said, Sergeant Dola, great to meet you. I shook his hand. First thing, are you a Christian? He responds, yes, I'm Christian. I'm Catholic. <laughs> Folks, I specialized in Catholic. And so I went after Matt from day one. And wouldn't you know, I, since we don't have a whole lot of time, I'm only going to use one example. If you get the CD set, Jimmy Swagger made me Catholic. I go through a whole litany of examples of how I hit him with this and he came back with this and I hit him with this and he came back with this. But I'll just give you one because we're running out of time. First thing out of my mouth, of course, when I, oh, you're a Christian, you're a Catholic, huh? Well, let me ask you a question there, Sergeant Dool. Come on over here. We're going to talk. I said, well, you know, if you're a Christian, don't Christians obey the Christ? Christian, which means little Christ or Christ-like. Uh, well, the Christ says in Matthew 23, 9, call no man on this earth father. You have one father, which is in heaven. Now, you have to understand, folks, I had hit so many Catholics with this verse and other verses, only to have the poor Catholic respond, <laughs> that would be about the depth of the theology I would, <laughs> I would hear. Matt Dula was a different story. He responded and immediately. He said, Tim, we Catholics believe that verse just like it's written. But did you know there's more than one verse in the Bible? <laughs> oh, man. That, all right. All right. <laughs> I, yeah, a little bit of snark there, you know. Did you know there's more? Of course I know. Well, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. And what, what's, what this young man did is he took me through a litany of verses in the Bible. I had never had a Catholic like you crazy people carrying Bibles around. What is this? This is supposed to be against the law for Catholics. <laughs> Matt Dula said, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. There, St. Paul quotes the fourth commandment. What's the fourth commandment? Honor your father and mother, right? He looks me in the eye and he says, well, Tim, I thought you said Jesus said, call no man on this earth father. Well, St. Paul does right here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Is God confused? He said, now that's ticking me off. <laughs> he said that. So I had to take a step back, and for the first time, really, because the Catholics I had talked to just didn't know their Bible from their elbow. <laughs> Matt says this. So I had to just kind of thinking on my feet. I said, well, okay, okay, all right. You can call your physical father, father. That's fine. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about. Yeah, the, we had it as the fifth commandment. Catholics as the fourth commandment. All right, so we... <laughs> You can call your physical father father. But see, what Jesus meant is you can't call spiritual leaders father. That's the context of Matthew chapter 23. And you know what? Matt Dula didn't miss a beat. He said, oh, I see. So you can't call spiritual leaders father. Hmm. Let's go to Luke chapter 16, verse 24. And you know what he did? He took my Bible out of my hand and beat me with it. Now, I'm saying that metaphorically, of course, but he did. He said, look, Luke 16, 24, Jesus refers to Abraham as, guess what? 
father Abraham. Matt says, Tim, would you say Abraham is a spiritual leader? You know what my response was? Amen. I was, I never had a Catholic stump me like that, but I was, and then he didn't stop. He said, Tim, look, give me your Bible. He's flipping pages. He goes, let's go to Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Seven times St. Paul calls Abraham, guess what? Father Abraham. Let's go to James chapter 2, verse 21. St. James calls Abraham, guess what? Father Abraham. Let's go to Acts chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. St. Stephen refers to the elders of Jerusalem as fathers. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. St. John refers to the presbyterian. Per, the, the presbyteroi that he's writing to, the elders, as what? Fathers. Presbyteroi, which means priests. But at any rate, it wasn't just one verse, two verses. It was like, Tim, look here. One, two, three, four, five. Turn the page. One, two, three. Turn the page. One, I, they're everywhere. Until he goes to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 and 15. Listen to this. St. Paul says, You have 10,000 instructors in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have not many fathers. I have become your father, for I've begotten you through the gospel. I'm looking at my Bible going, <laughs> And the one that did me in was Ephesians 3, 14. And I'm going to quote, quote from the Douay Rames, which I think gets closest. This is the confraternity edition, is it not? Yeah, this is the Douay Confraternity. In fact, this, this gets the closest to the Greek text here when it says in, in Ephesians 3.14, For this cause I bend my knee before the Father of light, from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth is derived. Or literally in the Greek, takes its name or receives its authority. Are you all with me? This was like, oh my gosh. Magdala says to me, Tim, when Jesus said, call no man on this earth father, he did not mean you cannot enunciate the term pater with regard to a human being. Because if he did, then he contradicted himself. And so did St. John and St. James and St. Paul and St. Stephen's, St. Stephen and the Holy Spirit who inspired all of them. I was dumbfounded. But for the first time in my life, I had to admit in my little brain the Catholics were right on that one, and I was wrong, but I will guarantee you I never let him know it. Man, I fought with him even when I knew I was wrong. I never admitted it, but we went to the next topic, and I don't have time to do this now. I will encourage you, and by the way, I know we're out of them, but if you guys would like, we can ship them to you. We've actually reduced the prices on all of our CD sets and, and books back there for this conference. And we will ship it to you with no shipping cost at the reduced rate because it was our fault we didn't bring enough here. But y'all get a hold of it before, before you go. The, the, the book, Behold Your Mother, I know we've got copies left. We've got tons of stuff, but the, the, the CDs as well. Jimmy Swagger made me count. I go through a litany. What basically happened to me is I went from doctrine to doctrine. In fact, I thought in my own mind, I'm going, okay, all right, the Catholics got lucky on one. <laughs> Even a broken clock is right twice a day. But as we went from statues to praying to dead folks, <laughs> to the papacy, to sacraments, to the Blessed Mother, 
this guy was giving me answers that were making sense. And I dug my heels in and I was determined I'm going to prove him wrong. And I will tell you something that Matt did. Take this home with you. He didn't always have the answer. He was an incredible and is an incredible man. And I would find out later, the oldest of eight kids, all Opus Dei schooled in Chicago, with a saint for a mother and a very strong father. All eight of the doula kids are strong Catholics to this day. And, and that tells you something about the doula family. They were incredible. That's the secret to Matt Doula. But he didn't always have the answers. But you know what he would do? If he didn't know the answer, he would get his little, you know, we didn't have smartphones back then. <laughs> He'd get his day planner out. And he would write it down. He'd say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I will find out. <laughs> and he would write it down. And sometimes it would be a week later, a month later. But he would come up and say, Tim, remember what you said on October 7th at 7.35 p.m.? <laughs> you said this. Well, here's the answer. And he would not only give me answers, he would give me books. And I would find out later that his spiritual director was Father Ron Gillis. Some of you know him. Father Ron Gillis, who recently passed away about a year and a half ago, Father Ron, who would be my first spiritual director, an Opus Dei priest with, with two PhDs, actually a doctor of canon law, as well as a doctor of philosophy. This man was absolutely brilliant. Matt was going to him. He would give him the answers, and he would come back to me with the answers, but not just answers. He would give me books. By the end of that year, I had a stack of books about this high. He gave me Ludwig Ott's Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma. He gave me what the church teaches by the Jesuit Fathers of St. Mary's. He gave me the Apostolic Fathers by uh, Lightfoot. He gave me book after book, uh, James Cardinal Gibbons, Faith of Our Fathers, and a litany of others, and I was crazy enough to read them. And you know why? Because I was bent on proving the Catholic Church false. I had nothing to fear because I knew you guys were crazy. <laughs> so I dug in and I read and I studied. And I started to find this incredible tapestry of truth, this symphony. I believe it was Frank Sheed who said theology is a symphony. I found a symphony, and it was scaring me to death. Because remember, when I got out of the Marines, by the end of one year with this guy, justification by faith alone went out the window. I was believing and praying to saints. The Eucharist, I was very close. And I'm going, oh, my Lord. What a, Mary was the only thing keeping me Protestant. Because <laughs> right? I couldn't buy the Immaculate Conception, the Assumption, but I knew I was in trouble. That's the time when I got out of the core that I got asked to be a youth pastor. Can you imagine? So when I became a youth pastor at Christ Chapel Assembly of God, my every waking moment that I wasn't teaching a Bible study or doing something with the kids, I was reading Catholic stuff. <laughs> I'm reading canons and decrees of Catholic councils. I'm reading Catholic theologians. I'm reading church fathers. As the good deacon mentioned, I read through the Apostolic Fathers. I burned through that thing like there was no tomorrow. And then I just started with the 38-volume set on the Fathers. And I'm reading, and I'm, my mind is being absolutely blown away. Oh, my gosh, these guys. Because remember, I had read Jimmy Swagger. <laughs> I mean, come on. Do you need anything else? <laughs> I'm joking. But no, I'm joking. if you all remember, in 1986, he put out the book, Catholicism, and Christianity, which Carl Keating responded to, along with Lorraine Bettner, they were his main two. That's why Carl called his book Fundamentalism and Catholicism, right? Um, 
It was kind of a play on Jimmy Swaggart's title there. But in, in Jimmy's book, which I read in 1986, as soon as it came out, man, I was the first one to order it. And I read where he says the Christians of the first 300 years of the Christian era were not Catholic. They were good Pentecostal and evangelical believers. So, of course, when I started reading these men, I expected them to be good Pentecostals and evangelicals. But then I find St. Clement of Rome teaching on apostolic succession and it being the example of the primacy of the Bishop of Rome. I'm reading about the primacy of the Church of Rome in St. Ignatius' letter to the Romans, written in 107 AD. I'm reading St. Irenaeus in 180 AD. And all these men, Eucharist, the primacy of the bishop and the Church of Rome, it is everywhere. And I am going, oh my Lord, what am I going to do? I mean, I, I ended up, folks, here to make a long story short, and I make it longer in the CD set. <laughs> I basically, I went to my pastor. And, oh, gosh, I wish we had more time. But you know what? I, I will share this one story. I was preaching a crusade at my home church with another fellow who was a student at Jimmy Swagger Bible College. And in the middle of this crusade, and you've got to picture this. This is a Pentecostal. This is a, Christ Chapel Assembly of God, if you ever drive that way in Woodbridge, it's right across the street from Garfield High School. It is enormous. This is a mega church, Right. So I'm preaching a crusade there, right? The place is packed, you know, folks are shouting, praise God, brother, hallelujah, right? And right in the middle, imagine this. I mean, I'm fired up and the spirit is moving, and right in the middle of it, I preached against contraception. <laughs> you know why? Because Matt Dula had challenged me. He showed me St. Augustine's commentary on Genesis 38, you know, the sin of Onan, and he argued a good uh, natural law argument that I'd never heard before, and it just made sense. And I was like, oh my gosh, all Christians believe this until 1930. This is unbelievable. And I wasn't planning on it, but the Spirit moved me. <laughs> and you got a picture. All these Pentecostals are going, amen, brother, praise God, until I hit contraception. Then it was... <laughs> the whole place went silent. Man, we can't even get priests to preach on it. Here, I'm preaching on it in the Assembly of God community. Well, it was about that time that Pastor agreed it was time to go. <laughs> you know, Tim, we love you, brother, but. <laughs> and, you know, I had this chat with, with Pastor Gary. He's, and I said, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the Fathers of the Church, and I'm seeing Scripture like I've never seen it before. And I started sharing with him, and he's like, Brother, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look, man, I don't know. St. Ignatius of who? I don't even know who you're talking about. And he said, brother, I've got a mega church here, and I don't have time to go and reinvent the wheel. I, I'd love to be able to help you, but I can't. You need to step down, and you need to go to Bible college and get your head straight. And I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. And that's when I stepped down and went to Jimmy Swaggart Bible College. <laughs> oh, you guys have heard of it. I went to Jimmy Swaggart Bible College because at the time, Jimmy Swaggart was the hottest thing in the Assemblies of God. He was, you know, he was at his pinnacle. And they had an ex-Catholic uh, priest teaching there named Andrew Caradagus. And so I'm excited. I'm going to go to Jimmy Swaggart Bible College. And in my mind, this is what I thought. I thought, all right, I've just been confused. I'm reading too many books. <laughs> and, and this Matt Dula was a sharp guy, and he's confused me. It's the devil! The, de <laughs> the devil has confused me. 
So I thought, I, you know what? I need to just step down, go to school. Then I can pour myself into it and pray and ask God, and God will illuminate my mind and show me the Catholic Church is truly the whore of Babylon. <laughs> well, it didn't work out that way. Because I, I got to conclude here. So let me just say this in conclusion. When I went to Jimmy Swagger Bible College, let's just put it this way. It didn't matter which class you went to. Somebody was saying something against the Catholic. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not picking on I'm not, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Look, they're Protestant. What does Protestant mean? Protest against who? You. That's right. So I have no problem with that. If you're going to be a Protestant, be a Protestant. In fact, I like that. It's the ones who don't believe anything. They're the hardest ones to be, you know. But at any rate, it was like from class to class, this incredible thing happened. Whenever professors would say things wrong about Catholicism, this, this arm would just go up all by itself. <laughs> I'm joking, but I did. I, I was, excuse me, and I'm objecting in class, after class. I'm going after professors and saying, look, you just said the Catholic Church was Pelagian. Now, for those of you who don't know, Pelagius was a fourth century British monk who taught, well, he denied original sin, said we could get to heaven just by doing good works in accordance with our nature. He denied original sin, therefore infant baptism, and all sorts of things, right? Uh, and uh, a lot of times we're accused as being Pelagian because of our emphasis on good works. Of course, that's nonsense. But so here I am in class, professor says, I'm, excuse me. It was actually Pope Innocent I that condemned Pelagianism in 415 A.D. Pope Zosimus, his successor, ratified two different synods condemning Pelagianism. And if you go to the Council of Orange in 529, they condemn both Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism. If you go a thousand years later, the Council of Trent, Session 6 on Justification, Canon 1. See, you don't do this at Jimmy Swaggart Bible College. No. But that's what I was doing. And let me tell you, all heaven broke loose. <laughs> because folks, let me tell you, I mean, I had students come into my room ev virtually every night. We had an impromptu Bible study. I would sit down in the lunchroom and students are jumping in chairs all around me. And it's, Tim, Tim, what about this that the Catholic Church says? And guys, I didn't even want to be Catholic. I had a guy tell me, Tim, are you becoming Catholic? I said, no way. It's a whore of Babylon. But you know what they say here is really good. Let me show you. <laughs> I was like schizophrenic. <laughs> but I'm defending, defending until finally, guys, again, I'm skipping a lot. It was that friend of mine from my home church that we preached the crusade together. He went to Brother Swaggart and said, Brother Swaggart, you've got a problem in this school. His name's Tim Staples. <laughs> he's about to become Catholic, and he's confusing a lot of students. You've got to do something. So I got a letter or a note from the office of J Jimmy Swaggart saying I had to appear before his expert on Catholicism, Andrew Karadegas. Remember the priest? Yeah. The ex-priest. To see what they were going to do about me, the problem. So I go down there. And I tell you, guys, I, I will never forget this meeting. It lasted an hour and a half. And for, because uh, time is limited, I'll just tell you these two things. When I sat down in his office, 
I remember it just kind of hit me, man. And, and I all of a sudden, fear just pierced my heart. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm just a kid who's read a few books. I'm about to sit down with a former Catholic priest who's been through 100,000 years of seminary. And he's probably going to make me look like an idiot, even if he's wrong. Y'all understand? I mean, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm toast. So I'm getting scared to death. And here comes, I was sitting in his office, and he was kind of like he had a back bathroom there. So he was back there, and, and I'm, I'm going, uh, maybe I should just leave. <laughs> he comes walking out, and I'm sitting there. Now, let's imagine you're me. What's your name? Mary. No, it's Tim. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I tricked Tim. her. <laughs> now, man, you're me. You're sitting there. Brother Caradays walks in, and he starts pacing back and forth. It was the oddest thing. He starts pacing, and he's looking at me. You know, I'm getting nervous. I'm, you know, and, and oh, my gosh, I thought, I was, you know, I'm going to fall apart here. And finally, he speaks up, and he says, now, I understand, and I must say I'm surprised to hear that you're thinking of becoming Catholic. Is that true? I say, yes. He says, well, let me tell you, I'm going to share some things with you that they won't tell you. But I know I was there. I was a priest. Right? He said, they're not going to tell you that in the year, and I kid you not, this is how he started, that in the year 1229 A.D., the Catholic Church condemned the reading of Scripture at the Council of Valencia. Now, guys and girls, I knew exactly where that lie came from. A book by Lorraine Bettner, Roman Catholicism. There was no Council of Valencia. What I said to him, I will never forget. I said, Brother Caradagus, you know better than to say that. There was no Council of Valencia in 1229 A.D. Folks, Valencia is in southern Spain. Southern Spain and 12, parts of central Spain had been liberated. The wars were going on. But Valencia had not been liberated yet. It would be another 50 years before Valencia is liberated. It was controlled by the Moors. The chances of having a, a, a Catholic council in Valencia, Spain in 1229, that would be like, hey, let's have Vatican III in Mecca. What do you think? <laughs> You'd have a hard time having a council with rocks bouncing off your head. They will kill you. In fact, go to Mecca, pull out a crucifix and see what happens. They will kill you on the street. And by the way, that's the religion of peace we're talking about here. They will kill you on the street. Anyway, I, I got to tell you, he just turned colors. Did not attempt a response. That was the oddest thing. And he just went to another topic. He says, well, you understand that the papacy not, is nowhere to be found in the Bible. And it's nowhere to be found in the first 500 years. In fact, until 476 AD, there was no such thing as a pope. Now, for those of you who don't know, 476 is the year the Western Roman Empire fell. And the myth is that the popes took over where the emperors left off, and that's where they got all the pomp and circumstance and authority. And once again, I responded. I said, Brother Caradagus, you know better than to say that. And I began in the Gospels. <laughs> And I went to St. Ignatius of Antioch, his letter to the Romans, where he says the church of Rome. Beautiful thing. How when, you, when you look at St. Ignatius in his letter to the Magnesians, paragraph 6, he talks about the bishop presiding over the people in that church. 
Only in his letter to the Romans, where he heaps all these praises upon Rome, does he say that the church itself presides in love. Presides over what? The other churches. Not just the people in Rome, but the church itself presides. Oh, my goodness. St. Irenaeus, I mentioned, in book 3, chapter 3, paragraphs 1 through 3 of his greatest work against heresies, he says, now all churches must agree with this church, that is the church of Rome, and, and then he lists all the bishops of Rome all the way back to Peter. And he says, this is the standard whereby the ecclesiastical tradition and the preaching of the truth has come down even unto us, close quote. And I think 180 is before 476, am I right? And as long as he was saying 476, I threw in St. Cyprian of Carthage and 250 on the unity of the Catholic Church, both versions, as well as uh, St. Augustine, St. Jerome, St. Ambrose. And let me tell you, folks, this man got angry. I was in there for about an hour and a half until this man got angry. He lost it. And he said, let me tell you something, son. You're not, never forget this. You're not going to be Catholic. You already are Catholic. <laughs> he said it just like that. Now, folks, I still didn't want to be Catholic. <laughs> and when he said that, I'm going, uh, okay. But he said this, and I can real. I know I've been concluding for a long time, <laughs> but I can conclude with this. He said this. He said, "Son, let me tell you something." He said, "You think you're smart. You're not. But I can tell you, you've read some of their propaganda." And he said, you're going to be Catholic, but he said, you mark my words. When you go in that church, you're going to discover that that church you're talking about might exist on paper, but it doesn't exist in reality. I was there. And that scared the daylights out of him. You know why? Because he teaches in his classes that it doesn't exist on paper. But he, had, he said that to me. It might exist on paper, but it doesn't exist in reality. And then he shared with me about being a young Cuban Catholic priest ordained just before the revolution of 1959, where the communists stole the revolution. You all know the story. And he, he shared with me. He said, I saw, I watched priests deny the faith, preach communism from the pulpit, bishops as well. It's phony. It's fake. It's not real. And I couldn't believe. He saw all sorts of scandalous things. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I wasn't even Catholic yet, my friends. But you know what I said to him? I said, Brother Caradagus, you cannot, you must not leave Peter because of Judas. And I thought I made a good point. <laughs> but he threw me out. That's when he really got mad. And you know what? This is a, something that we need to teach our young people. We need to teach Catholics. Vatican I took great pains to make the distinction between the magisterium of the Pope and the man sitting in the chair. Amen? Amen. See? The Pope could be theoretically just up out of bed with a prostitute, but if he says, thus saith God, it's, it's the word of God. It is the truth. And we have to understand that. That the papacy, the power of the papacy is not built upon a dude in, in Rome. It's built upon the power and the promise of Jesus Christ. And the gates of hell will not, cannot prevail. And I'll tell you what, can you imagine if in our church today we got some, uh, let's say another Alexander VI, <laughs> right? By the way, he had six kids. 
right. out, obviously out of wedlock, are you with me? All right. I mean, I, can you imagine how many Catholics would be leaving the church? Because they don't know what it means to be Catholic right now. But I said that to Brother Caradagus. Don't leave Peter because of Judas. And he asked me to leave. And in fact, he forcefully asked me to leave. And when I walked out of that office, I got to tell you, I've never felt so alone in my life. That might, might sound odd to you, but it's the truth. When I walked out of that office, I knew I was no longer Protestant. But I also knew I still did not want to be Catholic. And you know what? I didn't even understand it. It's hindsight, looking back. There was so much prejudice in my heart built up over years against Catholicism. Plus, this, my Protestantism represented everything I was, where I came from, my father, my pastors, the men that I respected the most in this world. It was like if I took a step toward Rome, I was denying everything that I was. And, and I know the devil was fighting overtime to keep me from taking that step. But it was a horrible place to be. And I remember going back to my room and weeping. I'm crying. I'm falling on the bed and I'm crying. And in my mind, I'm going, the Catholic Church seems like it's true, but it can't be. Is the devil deceiving me? I went to the prayer room at Jimmy Swagger Bible College in the, in the dorms. They were shaped like V. And on every level of the dorm, right in the middle in that V, there were prayer rooms. And I remember going in the prayer room, and I'm just crying to God. I'm saying, God, am I being deceived? What am I going to do? This stuff all makes sense. What am I going to do? And it was like iron ceiling, amen? <laughs> Nothing. I remember one night, I'm weeping and crying in the prayer room. I get up, and I go to my dorm room. I can still remember walking down the hall and opening that. This is 29 years ago. And I opened that door, and I walked in, and I collapsed on my bed. And my roommate, his name was Eric, wasn't in. It was probably providential. Because I collapsed on that bed, and I'm crying real tears, and I'm going, Lord, what am I going to do? I just don't know. I slid down to my knees at the side of the bed, and for the first time in my life, I prayed to a saint. And you know the amazing thing about this is by that time, for two years, I knew it was okay to pray to saints, but I had never done it. You know, there's a difference between having a rosary hanging off your rearview mirror and actually pulling it down and praying it. Did y'all know there's a difference? There's a big difference. But for the first time, I looked up at that ceiling and I said, Mom. I said, Mama Mary. And I knew she was my mom because I'm a brother of Jesus. Amen. Even more, I'm a member of his body. Amen. You ever see a mom that's just going to claim the head and not the body of its child, of her child? I knew that she was my mom, but for the first time I voiced it. And I said, Mom. And instantly the doubts come in. And so you know what I did? I just talked to Mama. I said, Mary, I don't know what I'm supposed to say or do. And if I'm doing something wrong, please forgive me. But I said, please help me. I don't know what to do. And at that instant, I felt the prayers of our Blessed Mother. And you know, in my mind's eye, maybe it's just the old Marine in me, but you know what? I, I just see Mary in heaven walking over to Jesus and saying, Jesus, that's enough. You bless that boy right now. <laughs> right now. Uh-uh. Right now. 
And Jesus says, pow! <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, the it was like the faith went from my head to my heart. See, the faith had become a syllogism. It had become a pile of books and an argument. And that's the worst part. I, I tell my apologists at Catholic Answers, if ever you get to that point where the faith becomes an argument, close the books, get your butt into the chapel in front of the Blessed Sacrament, you need to go to confession and fall in love with Jesus because that's what this is all about. Apologetics, the Catholic faith, is not about winning arguments. It's about loving people with the love of Jesus, and Jesus is the truth. Amen? So we need to be armed with the truth. But if it's not truth in love, it will profit nothing. Well, folks, I'd love to tell you that, oh, everything was just peachy king after that. <laughs> but it wasn't. I will, I'll guarantee you this. From that moment forward, I, never, I have never doubted the Catholic faith. From that moment when the Blessed Mother interceded for me and I felt her prayers, it was like the faith, it, it's the only way I can describe it, it was like the faith went from my head and was lodged in my heart and it became real. It was absolutely real. And so I would go ahead and leave Bible college. In fact, they would see me off. <laughs> Bye, Tim! And I went home, I got kicked out of my church, which is understandable. The elders and deacons at Christ Chapel told the people, don't talk to him, he's a heretic. In fact, my, I had a Bible study. I invited the whole church. <laughs> Only about 20, 25 came over the wall. And you know what? Every single person that came to that Bible study is today Catholic, and two of them are priests. Two of them are priests. One being my brother Terry. And the other is Father Jim Glass, who some of you may know, he's down in... Richmond, he's a Benedictine now. Um, but my, the point is this. When I went home, things got harder. I mean, when I got kicked out of my church and I thought my whole family thought I was crazy, my brother Terry, he's ready to cast demons out of me. And now he's a priest. But I'm going to tell you, it was God's grace that within six months, my brother Terry converted to the Catholic faith. Within a year, my mama converted Within five years, my father, one of the most anti-Catholic men you would ever meet, converted radically. My brother Ted, five years. My brother Mike took 14 years because Mike was kind of an agnostic. He never got saved when we were Baptists. He jokes with us now. He says, I was just waiting until y'all got it right. <laughs> but the whole family is now Catholic. And over the last, it's hard to believe now. It's hard to believe. It's been 28 years. We've seen thousands. We'll never know how many. Between my brother's priestly ministry and my little thing that I do, thousands. Either non-Catholics becoming Catholic, Catholics coming home. And that, I, I don't say that to toot my brother's horn or my horn, but all of it happened and continues to happen because one Marine stood up for his faith. May each one of us determine in our hearts tonight, as the good deacon said, Enough is enough. It is time to be Catholic. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, 
please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.